Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this beautiful Friday before Thanksgiving, and welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. I'm Lisa Stearns, and I'm here with Dr. Tim Cross, our Senior Vice President. We'll have an update on COVID-19 cases within the university and across the state, and our guest today will be presenting some survey results on how the pandemic has impacted us all. So a few reminders, um, mute your audio, Use the chat function in Zoom if you'd like to ask any questions of either Dr. Cross or our guest. Uh, you can publicly post your question in the chat or you can send it privately to me. A recording of this session will be made and posted to the UTIA coronavirus website. You can find that link on our new homepage at utia.tennessee.edu. So Tim, um, the news is just not sounding really good. Um, so how does the case count currently look for the university and primarily for the Institute? Well, we'll get right to it as usual, Lisa. You know, uh, I worry a little bit though. I've been obviously reading a fair amount as probably each of you have and reading the CDC guidance recently, I noted it said, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed or fatigued by all this, you know, stay away from so much uh, news information and data about COVID-19. And then here I am contributing to the problem by uh, sharing yet more information. But hopefully uh, this localized information that talks uh, specifically about the university and about the Institute of Ag uh, at least keeps you informed as to what's happening specifically uh, for our organization without being too terribly depressing. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll get right to it as usual, and then uh, have some I think great information to share with you today as well. So let me pull up my screen, and uh, let's just take a quick look at the numbers here. Uh, and uh, it's uh, again uh, probably not going to be a huge surprise to anyone uh, that uh, as the country goes and as the state goes, uh, so goes our our university to some extent. Uh, so here's what we look like uh, in terms of the university, uh, uh, both the Institute Ag as well as the, the total University of Tennessee Knoxville. And as you can see, our, our number of positive cases is, is up a little bit. It's actually down slightly from last week in terms of student numbers. But uh, again, overall relative to uh, uh, four to eight weeks ago, we're up just a little higher. And our employee number of positive cases is up uh, currently uh, at about 23 individuals across the entire organization. Now that's, you know, certainly a very slight increase, but nonetheless, it is larger and, and that's probably to be expected as, as we'll see in, in both the state and the national data here shortly. And obviously, uh, if we've got more positive cases, what that leads to typically is that we also have more students and employees uh, in quarantine or self-isolation. And that's reflected today as well with 437 students uh, in isolation today and 119 employees. And that number is, is quite a bit higher than what we've seen the last several weeks. And in fact, uh, it's as big as, as any number we've seen going back to mid-August. So. Uh, with the number of cases uh, that are taking place across uh, uh, the state and in our local communities, it's not surprising that uh, more and more of our employees uh, have unfortunately had direct contact with someone who is a positive case. So I think that's what that chart is showing us. And in the Institute of Agriculture, again, much the same story. This looks a lot more pronounced. Again, it's because we're looking at very small numbers. 
but uh, today we're, we're looking at nine employees that are active positive cases. And that's, uh, you know, significantly higher in, in uh, nominal terms than where we've been uh, for the past several weeks. I'd also remind you though, that nine is, is out of a total employee population of more than 2000. So this chart maybe looks a little more dramatic than it should. On the other hand, let's, let's look at this chart and remind ourselves, uh, we, we've got to do all we can to stay healthy and safe as the number of cases uh, uh, explode or blossom around us. We, we're, we're part of the community, we're part of our state, we're gonna be interacting, but let's take all the precautions we can, uh, wearing masks and so forth, uh, to keep this number from growing any further than what it is now. And likewise, if you look at uh, the number of our employees within the Institute who are self-isolating or quarantining, uh, approximately 29 today. And I say approximately because it may have changed since this morning, but uh, that's a larger number again than what we've seen. And if in both of these uh, charts, let me back up one, both of these, if you look over the last four weeks, just a steady positive increase and, and that's, uh, again, consistent with what we're going to see uh, at both the state and the national level. So moving to the, the national level, this chart um, just continues to be troubling, obviously. This is our national data with regard to the number of new cases uh, that have emerged uh, each day. And I think we've set a, a record in the number of new daily cases, uh, three out of the past eight days. So we're still uh, increasing in terms of the number of positive cases. And that's why I think we're just gonna be really challenged to, uh, to do everything we can to keep our, our employees and, and our employees' families uh, safe throughout this time period. So you can see uh, yesterday we topped 180,000 new cases uh, in this country. Uh, that's that's uh, so much higher than where we were uh, last uh, spring and, and early summer. It's amazing. We've gone from 20,000, 30,000 cases a day to 180,000 cases a day. The trajectory is still positive. Uh, we've we've got, got to do everything we can to try to turn that trajectory downward. Uh, and then uh, in the state of Tennessee, the chart looks somewhat the same, but actually, if you look at the past three days, our number of cases are much lower than what they were the previous seven days. So Maybe, maybe we're seeing some improvements, uh, modest, uh, granted, but, but some improvements at the state level. And we'll, we'll just have to see you know, what the next several days hold in that regard as well. So I think uh, looking at what's happening in the state, it's, it's not a shock that uh, unfortunately with uh, the statewide spread of this virus, uh, we're seeing more of our workforce uh, impacted either through direct contact or, or resulting in uh, positive cases, but uh, we're, we're keeping the numbers, uh, I think, low and manageable, and that's uh, very good. You know, our goal is to have zero positive cases and as close to zero in quarantine as possible. We're not there, but, but we want to do everything we can to get there. So I'll uh, stop sharing uh, at that point, and uh, we can see if there's any questions about any of that, any, any comments as well uh, a little later on, Lisa. That's where we're at this week. Great, thank you. And you mentioned this earlier that all of this can truly feel very overwhelming, um, just hearing news consistently about this. Um, so knowing 
how the pandemic is affecting us, uh, particularly within the Institute and the university is really important. And um, I know today's guest has some new information in this regard. Yeah, and, and today's guest is really not a guest. He's one of us. Uh, we're we're uh, really uh, fortunate, and I, I really appreciate Doug Bonner joining us today. You know, Doug uh, is our human resource officer, works with all of our human resource partners to, to support our employees institute-wide, and I've invited uh, Doug to join us today and, and share some information with you. Doug, anything you'd like to share just to, uh, to uh, kind of get us rolling here today? Sure. Um, and first, just let me say thank you um, for having me today. I've enjoyed these sessions over the past several months, and I appreciate the effort you and Lisa are putting into them to keep all of us up to speed with, with what's going on. So from my end, I'm always happy to be part of this conversation. Well, thanks a lot, Doug. Sure. So I think, uh, you know, really, uh, We've seen data week after week. Uh, we've talked about practices. We've talked about guidance and, and what to do. But uh, I'm I'm curious as as to probably all of us on this call are. Well, how are we really doing? How's everyone feeling? How how are we coping and, and managing through this pandemic? Uh, so I, I'd really like if you could to, uh, to to address that a little bit this afternoon, Doug. Sure. Yep, I'd be happy to. So I'm gonna do the same thing you did here and make an attempt to, to share my screen. Do you all have the pandemic engagement pulse check? All right, thank you, Lisa. So um, you all may recall that early last month, we partnered with McLean and Company to conduct a system-wide pulse check specifically focused on employee engagement during the, the ongoing pandemic. And with the exception of UT Knoxville and UT Chattanooga, all the other campuses and institutes participated across the system. Here at UTIA, we had a response rate of 45%, which captures nearly 700 of our regular employees. And we received quite a bit of detail from McLean, but for purposes of our call today, I'm just gonna share a real high level overview of the results and I'm happy to answer any questions that the, the team on board today may have. And uh, also know that uh, the executive committee members and your leadership have received some of those details as well. And um, you certainly welcome to, to ask them any questions you may have also. So institute-wide, uh, we have an engagement rate of nearly 80%, which um, as you can see on the right-hand side of the screen is defined as employees who are engaged and passionate about their work and are um, more prone to exert discretionary effort. I'm not gonna take you through each one of the, the scoring levels here, but um, I think one thing that is important for everyone to understand is that this survey was based on a six point scale and any rating of four or below was considered to be disengaged. So when you look at the, the, the pie chart here, nearly 95% of our employer responses were in the top one third of that response scale. Um, based on all of the responses across the Institute for all of the engagement related questions, um, we basically have one disengaged employee for every 15 and a half engaged employees. So all things considered, I would say we're performing quite well in this regard. Uh, here you'll see a summary of the engagement questions, um, which you know, tend to focus on things like workplace pride, job satisfaction, and individual employee commitment to the university. 
These scores, again, are based on the average responses of all institute-wide survey participants. And again, I'm not going to touch on each one of these, but I think one thing I, I should point out here is that any score of 60% or above is considered high performing. And as you can see, we're well above that threshold across the board here uh, with regard to the engagement related questions. Now, there are a number of drivers of employee engagement, but as I said earlier, I'm just going to do a real quick high level overview today and for purposes of our call, I thought it would be best to, to focus on the drivers that are more directly related to the pandemic. So I'll touch on each of these three uh, in just a moment individually. Um, as you can see here, our results again tend to be in the, the high performing range. Um, but when you look at the right-hand side of the, the screen, you'll see that when it comes to returning to the brick and mortar workplace, our scores do start to, to drop off a little bit and are approaching that threshold for, for average performance. As it relates to manager relationships, overall our supervisors are perceived and doing quite a good job in terms of keeping their employees informed about decisions that directly affect them and the work that they're doing, as well as making people feel important and cared about as individuals. Uh, on the right-hand side of the screen here, um, you'll see a couple of verbatim comments that uh, were responses to the open-ended questions on the survey. And one thing that I thought was interesting as I was reading through these is that despite the responses from our employees that say our supervisors are doing quite a good job in keeping them involved and engaged, supervisors themselves are saying that they would like more support and guidance in helping them to continue to navigate through that leadership of a remote workforce. So um, as well as we're doing, our leaders are saying we could be doing better and, and we'd like some help in that regard. Specific to COVID-19, uh, most of our people believe that the university's actions support the health and, and well-being of our employees. Uh, they feel that they're receiving regular and meaningful communication about how COVID impacts their work. And the majority of our employees are also supportive of the overall response to, to the coronavirus. And then as I referenced earlier, and I'm sure no one on the call today is gonna be surprised to see uh, not a, all of our scores when it comes to returning to the, the workplace are in the green forest. Um, most of our employees believe that they receive adequate communication regarding plans to return to the workplace. They're trusting in the decisions made by senior leadership, and uh, they believe that the necessary safety protocols and equipment are gonna be in place. But um, when it comes to actually returning to the physical workplace, there is still a bit of uncertainty and reluctance. And the comments that you see on the right-hand side of the, the screen here are also pretty indicative of the Institute as a whole. We've got some folks that feel that we should have opened offices quite a long time ago and be fully open and available to the public and one another as it stands today. And others don't feel that they're gonna be comfortable returning to the workplace for quite some time and we um, gotten responses everywhere in between those two. So I think it's it's a difficult needle for us to attempt to thread. Uh, we clearly are not going to be able to make everyone happy in this regard, but um, I, I think that's um, not all that different from what you see in um, society right now either. I don't think it's unique to the Institute. 
So to wrap up, um, I thought I'd share a couple of the, the overarching themes that were apparent in the, the comments. Um, as you can see, there's a desire for continued flexibility in work arrangements, and that was very clear. Um, now, whether that be full-time work from home, staff rotations, hybrid arrangements, or some other option, um, I think our folks really like the idea of greater flexibility in terms of both when and where they work. Um, there was also a lot of appreciation shared for the focus on communications and transparency. The fireside chats that we're on right now were mentioned several times, and um, a lot of people also expressed their hopes that we'll continue to focus on communication uh, to keep them up to speed with what's happening. Um, and then lastly, people remain heavily focused on the safety protocols, uh, not only the PPE and sanitation, but also leadership enforcement of social distancing and making sure people uh, in our facilities and around campus or you know around the state wherever you may be uh, are wearing their masks so you know we saw the trends uh, that dr cross took us through just a couple of minutes ago and along with that data your responses really help us quite a bit in prioritizing our work as it relates to the pandemic so you know i'd just like to close by thanking everyone that participated in the survey uh, your your feedback is quite meaningful to us, and I hope that the next time we do one of the pulse checks that even more people will take the time to to share their thoughts and, and feedback with us. And yeah. that's, a, like I said, a real quick overview. Happy to, to pause and take any questions, or we can do that whenever you, know, you feel it's best to do so. Let's pause just a moment on questions, but please, everyone, be thinking of, of your questions or send them by chat uh, to Lisa, you know, uh, immediately. But before we take questions, just one more uh, thing, Doug, since we've got you uh, here in front of everyone today, I wonder if there's just any other updates uh, beyond the survey that you'd like to share with us today as we look ahead for the next uh, week or two or three, any anything that, that comes to mind that you'd like to share with the group? Well, yeah, you know, there's never any shortage of uh, ideas and, and feedback to share as it relates to, to the coronavirus. But um, I think what's probably top of mind right now, and, and you sort of referenced this as well earlier on, that there's a bit of fatigue that I think many of us are starting to, to feel right now. Uh, in fact, there's even a phenomenon out there that many of you have probably heard of called PPE fatigue. Uh, some are referring to it as COVID fatigue. But there's frustration and, and people are just getting tired of having to wear masks and, and maintaining social distancing. And I guess the one message I would really like to focus on is, you know, how can we help all of you um, and ourselves continue to remain vigilant in this regard? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was on with um, a number of the folks that, that make up our small COVID team, Marcy Souza, Dave White, Doug Edlin, and, um, we met just yesterday again and talked about this very thing. And I, I think that we can't lose sight of the importance of mask wearing. The evidence is there that it is probably the single most effective way to prevent the spread of the disease. So, you know, as we approach the holidays as well, and we know that, you know, some of us are going to be in situations with family members. Some of us will choose to travel, others will not, but, um, we, we need to, to keep these kinds of things in mind, to keep ourselves safe, our family safe, and those around us safe. So I would say, please continue to focus on washing your hands, you know, using sanitation stations when you see them, maintain that social distancing and, and wear your mask. And 
as it relates specifically to the Thanksgiving holiday, I would encourage all of you to visit the CDC website. They have information up there. I think it's been on the news quite a bit this week as well that that information's posted. I looked at it just recently. It was updated just yesterday, yet again. Uh, and if you go to cdc.gov, there's a tile right there on their homepage that says Thanksgiving. You can't miss it. Uh, or you can simply go in and do a search for Thanksgiving or CDC Thanksgiving, and um, it'll take you right to their guidelines. Great. Thanks very much. Uh, I really appreciate that. I'm also a little curious if, uh, Doug, if, if you can update us on uh, our status with regard to flu shots. I know we're all expected to either get one or enter a, an attestation about that. Uh, any, any updates there? Yeah, sure. Um, we, um, we continue to do well across the Institute. Uh, as of just yesterday, we have almost a thousand of our folks that have completed the online attestation. Uh, and if you haven't done that already, I would encourage you to go into IRIS um, through the web portal, visit employee self-service, and it will take you, um, I promise, no more than two minutes to complete the entire process. And you simply need to confirm your identity and then choose whether or not you've gotten the shot. If you have gotten the shot, enter the date that you received it, or you can select to uh, opt out. And if you opt out, there's no further questions that are asked. But um, like I said, as of today, we've had just, um, just under a thousand people that have completed the attestation online and about 88% of our folks are choosing to get the flu vaccine. Great, and let's hope uh, there's another vaccine that we have access to in the very near future. Uh, and we'll very probably true. go through this again, but uh, we're not there yet. However, the, the news is certainly positive in that regard. So that, that's one of the things that, that at least provides a little uh, future uh, bright spot for us. So let me just yeah. pause right there, turn it back to Lisa. And, and Lisa, let's uh, get questions or comments uh, from the group here today. You're being real quiet because you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we do have a number of questions. And uh, one of them, uh, or actually a couple of them, do relate to the vaccine. But we'll get to a couple first that um, related to what you just talked about. And one is, considering the holiday, if we travel out of state, we are supposed to quarantine for a week. Do we need to do the same uh, if we're interacting with people that are coming into Tennessee? Doug, you want, you want to take that or you want me to jump in? Yeah, I'll, um, I'm happy to. I wasn't sure which one of us that was for. So I uh, thought I would defer to you at first. But um, what I would say is we have, across the entire university at this point, relaxed a lot of our travel restrictions. So um, I, I know this will make uh, some people perhaps a bit uncomfortable. That sounds like a difficult word, but I think you're going to have to work with your supervisors and use your, your best judgment in terms of where you're going, what the rates look like in that particular area. Although at this point, when you look at the nationwide map, I think pretty much all of our states are red, including Tennessee at this point. So I think it's going to be, for the most part, quite quite equal. Um, what I would say is just think about your situation, um, utilize your very best judgment. If you're experiencing any symptoms whatsoever, I would recommend that you, you know, just act out of an abundance of caution and uh, opt to, you know, to stay home uh, at first and monitor the situation. Uh, we certainly don't want anyone that has chosen to travel 
you know, returning to the workplace if they don't feel 100% well and potentially affecting others. Yeah, and no, that's exactly uh, how I would have responded as well. I'd say, you know, think back several months ago when we had a lot of guidance and restrictions about where you travel and what happens when you come back and so forth. At that point, there were some hot spots in the U.S. Well, today the U.S. is the hot spot, so I'm not sure out of state is any riskier than than traveling to the community right next door. I think it's more related. The risk, in my opinion, is more related to the size of the gathering as opposed to where people are from. So if you're, you know, in in the midst of a group of 25 people having a, a great big celebration for Thanksgiving, I think you ought to strongly consider staying home uh, and, and work again, as Doug mentioned, work with your supervisor on that. But any large gatherings, I think, are, are highly risky at this time, uh, particularly in settings where we're not all wearing masks. And it's pretty darn difficult to eat turkey with a mask on. So, uh, you know, I just think you got to use uh, really good uh, judgment on that and, and think about your coworkers, think about the people you interact with. Uh, and if you're with a large group and there's considerable uh, uh, potential that someone uh, may have been a direct contact, then, then let's err on the side of not returning immediately to the workplace. So Doug, here's a question I believe um, you can best answer. And that is, uh, this person said when they got their flu shot, there was a $35 copay. So is that the person's responsibility or does UT reimburse in some way? So the university itself is not going to directly reimburse anyone. Um, they would need to work with their insurance provider to ensure that they um, receive the proper coverage. I, I know a lot of um, entities out there are providing the shot. Uh, my understanding is free of charge, but I did go through my insurance when I received mine. So I would recommend that anyone that's experiencing that work with their insurance provider to, to make sure that they um, were properly charged. Very good. Um, so here's a question um, about faculty and staff who have children. Uh, and of course, we're hearing more and more that children are attending schools virtually now. So will the work from home options be offered until we get a vaccine or until the numbers go down uh, in local communities? So, you know, and again, I'll, I'm happy to answer and then Dr. Cross, if there's anything additional that you've heard, um, when I hear a question like that, there are a number of potential responses that I could share. So one is, I, I, I think within the Institute itself and amongst leadership, we want to continue to do um, as much as we possibly can to maintain flexibility with our employees um, as long as we are confident that they're still able to fully contribute and um, participate in you know, the responsibilities in the workplace. Um, there is also the expanded FMLA offerings that were put in place early this year, and those continue through the end of December of 2020. We have not gotten word yet from the Department of Labor whether or not those will be expanded, but that if they are, will be another potential option for um, people to consider. And then um, the, the other piece that I would share is, you know, leave options that, that may be available through either the, the state or the employer. I know those are continuing to be looked at. This is a, a completely separate question or response, I guess. We continue to get questions as to whether or not we are going to um, 
expand leave options for um, parents when when they're expecting a child and that's one that we were looking at for a while it was something that the the state was considering as well and I understand that that is not going to be on the legislative agenda in the spring so UT is reconvening that group to look at it internally so again may not necessarily help with you know those of you that already have children in school but you know when I think of parenting from my own experience it's you know it, it's a broad realm of of opportunities and and uh, challenges to navigate. Great, thanks, Doug. Um, and this one actually uh, is specifically for Dr. Cross, um, and that is with the COVID nineteen cases rising, um, are we still continuing with the plan to ramp up staffing uh, to fifty percent attendance next month in January? Yeah, clearly uh, the data does not support any any move in that direction. So uh, as I've just said to many people, we're gonna take our foot off the gas. <laughs> we're gonna you know, pump the brakes a little bit here, slow down, see what happens uh, through the first of the year and reassess at that point. So I think uh, my, my advice or guidance at this point would be, uh, let's, let's sort of maintain the status quo. Let's keep doing what we're doing and do it safely. Uh, but uh, clearly now is not, <laughs> an appropriate time to, to scale up our physical presence any further than what we are currently. So uh, we'll just ease into this a little more. Uh, I'd hoped we might use December to, to experiment a little bit, if you will, uh, with bringing more folks back, but uh, there, there's no reason to do that at this point uh, and no good basis for making that, that kind of decision. So uh, let's, let's keep doing like we're doing. Let's uh, manage uh, to keep everyone safe uh, let's do our jobs. Let's make sure we're, you know, teaching, uh, researching, doing outreach programs, uh, managing uh, services in our clinics uh, to the best of our ability, and then uh, we'll we'll see what the the world looks like uh, on or about the first of the year. Great. So we have two questions actually um, that are falling in the same category, and it's sort of a forward some forward thinking here. Um, and that is in the uh, promise of a vaccine that uh, looks like will be coming our way um, at some point. So the question is, what is the university's outlook for next semester, mainly for teaching? And then if a vaccine does indeed become available, would in-person teaching faculty be first in line for a vaccine? So let me uh, take the first uh, part of that and what's the outlook for next spring. And I think our outlook for next spring is exactly what it is today. And that is, you know, we're gonna be looking at uh, teaching uh, either uh, online or hybrid, probably for the majority of classes, smaller classes uh, that include uh, experiential learning components more likely to be face-to-face, -face, really very similar to this semester, at least at, the, at this point in time, that's what I would say. Uh, and then as far as uh, the vaccine and distribution or availability of the vaccine, I haven't seen uh, a verbatim list, but I know priorities have been identified. I, I don't think that higher ed has been identified on that list explicitly. And I know um, that if, if higher ed isn't on there, they, it sure hasn't gotten to the, down to the point of saying, well, 
teaching faculty first and then then clinical, then research, then extension. There's no hierarchy established like that. So my uh, uh, suspicion is that higher ed may not even be one of those designated categories in terms of priorities. I I'm not positive of that since I haven't seen the entire list, but I think we may be considered, you know, part of the general population. So I think Within that uh, list, though, there are certainly priorities for those who are involved in uh, uh, frontline health care, nurses, doctors, and so forth. And I think we're talking primarily human. Not sure if that applies to uh, animal health care or not. Something we'll learn about, obviously. Uh, and I also know that other first responders like fire, police, and so forth uh, will be uh, early in the process of vaccinations. Uh, I, interestingly, I read that uh, children are, are actually very low on the priority list, at least at this point, and that's due to the fact that there have been no children or very few children involved in the uh, pilot testing. So the safety and e efficacy data isn't uh, nearly as well known for children as it is for adults. So in, in the interest of making sure that we're not you know, harming children in any way, I think they're, they're going to be further down the line as well. Where that puts uh, young adults, uh, as in college students, where, where uh, university higher ed employees land in that uh, priority ranking, uh, I'm, I'm not certain, but I pretty much just shared with you what I've had uh, access to, which is probably the same as what you have access to. There's certainly been no distribution of a list at this point, but simply uh, seeing some of the remarks and comments that Commissioner Lisa Piercy has shared uh, who, as you recall, was with us uh, several months ago uh, in, in anticipating that they're going to uh, have to really be formalizing that to some extent between now and, and with any luck, uh, the 1st of December or so. I think Great. I danced around both of those questions as long as I could. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are tough to answer. Um, so a faculty member is, is following up on uh, the whole idea of next semester, and that is uh, that they have been highly encouraged to teach in person. And this person is teaching two classes 100% in person in spring. So should they be changing that uh, at this point or is it a wait no, and see? I think we're in a wait and see mode, sort of again, a, a maintain the status quo mode at this point. I uh, wouldn't, uh, you know, pull the plug entirely on face to face, but I wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, just assume everything is going 100% online either. In, in spite of the fact that numbers are going up, you know, pretty dramatically uh, around the country and, and around the state, as you've seen, the numbers, uh, even among students, are not uh, really skyrocketing like we're seeing uh, amongst the general population. In fact, uh, they've, they've done some analysis system-wide looking at the population of our students and the incidence of COVID among our students relative to the total population of adults aged 18 to 25. And our students are actually at a much lower overall positive percentage than the general population is of that same age category. So, you know, you could conclude from that the safest place to be is at a university uh, or, or specifically at a University of Tennessee uh, institution. I'm not sure you can carry it quite to that extent. However, it certainly looks like the data suggests that, you know, universities are safe places uh, if you're a student. We, we are unable to do a similar uh, 
really highly valid sort of comparison uh, with other adults because uh, it's it's harder to get a handle on all of those categories uh, broken down by age and so forth that that uh, provide statistically valid comparisons is my understanding but for for our student population uh, the safety seems to be there so all that said uh, we're not seeing a lot of workplace transmission in offices laboratories or classrooms uh, and if everyone follows the kinds of guidance that we're talking about and have been talking about for months. Uh, we, we believe it's still safe to, uh, to teach, to uh, do research and so forth. We've just got to be careful about how we do those things. So I would continue to plan as you have been for the past uh, few weeks in terms of next semester, but I'd also keep your ear to the ground and, you know, obviously watch if there's state guidance that comes about or federal guidance that comes about that could change certainly our approach uh, at any point in time. I don't have a great crystal ball as to whether that's likely, but uh, I think we'll, we're, we're all learning to be flexible. Uh, we're all learning to be nimble. So uh, we'll have to continue in that mode for a few more months, I'm afraid. Well, um, we only have one more question. And uh, this person clearly has some COVID fatigue because they are completely changing the subject. And that is Dr. Cross, would you share with everyone your favorite Thanksgiving dish? All right, well, thank you for allowing us to change gears. <laughs> Whoever asked that question. Uh, my, my favorite Thanksgiving dish uh, would probably have to be uh, corn pudding uh, of all things. I really like uh, corn in general. But on Thanksgiving, uh, a good uh, corn pudding dish just uh, hits the spot for me. Now, I, I bet Luca Giori is on here. He can share with us a favorite Thanksgiving dish uh, in Italian, uh, perhaps. Uh, Luca, are you with us today? Any, any thoughts that you have? What, what would you say about a favorite Thanksgiving dish? Yes, I, I'm here. Uh... <laughs> Um, I actually, I'm going to, uh, to do something for the day before Thanksgiving uh, for the students and the faculty here at the CVM, and I will prepare tiramisu uh, as a dessert for, for them. So it's, it's not a typical dessert that we have for Thanksgiving, but it's an Italian dish, at least, that we can have for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Giori. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> and a reminder, Dr. Giori has invited anyone to, to tune into his cooking classes. So you've received an email with those dates and the Zoom link. So don't forget that that's an option. Can't beat a good uh, tiramisu. So sounds great. Wonderful. Well, uh, that is it as far as the questions. So Tim, any uh, final remarks? Yeah, thanks, Lisa, and, and thanks to Doug for joining us today, talking through the, uh, the survey results. Uh, I think, you know, again, uh, we're, we're uh, sometimes feeling bad about where we're at and what we're facing, but I think those engagement marks uh, reflect really, really positively on each of you and, and your attitude, your willingness to really be engaged, uh, to uh, get things done, despite of the challenges that we're all facing. So, uh, Doug, thanks for sharing that information. Uh, I also want to take just a moment. Some of you were on uh, a Zoom uh, earlier today uh, over the lunch hour, uh, hosted by our Gamma Sigma Delta uh, uh, honorary uh, fraternity. And uh, it was great to see uh, the faculty and staff that were honored, our students that were honored. 
and the Commissioner of Agriculture actually received the Distinguished Service Award. So really nice to be a part of that uh, ceremony today and uh, enjoyed being uh, there to see that recognition. Uh, you know, as for the pandemic, as I've already mentioned a little bit, it's pretty easy to get discouraged these days. It seems like it just goes on and on. Uh, we're, we're not getting any better, uh, you know, from a national perspective. But I, I do think there are uh, plenty of positives to think about as well. Uh, one of them really being that our case count has remained low, really, for the duration of the pandemic uh, for eight months now. Uh, we have not seen large spikes. We have not seen large-scale uh, outbreaks, uh, and I think that's really positive and, again, reflects well on each of you. Uh, certainly, we've talked quite a little bit about the fact that we've been carrying out education, research, extension, and clinical responsibilities without missing a beat. Again, that's what you've done, uh, so uh, that's something positive to, to look at and, and be appreciative of. And I think by being creative, uh, flexible, as we talked about a minute ago, being compassionate, we have enabled our employees to really remain engaged, uh, remain employed without any uh, interruptions in terms of uh, salary. And that's a positive thing as well. I, I think about those sectors of the economy that have been really negatively impacted, like the, the service industries, especially restaurants, uh, bars, and so forth. Uh, we're, we're fortunate where we're at. Uh, we've been able to continue on, uh, remain engaged and remain employed uh, for, for the eight months without any interruption. So uh, I guess that, you know, sort of leads me to think about we've got a Thanksgiving holiday coming up and there's much more to be thankful for than those things that I've just mentioned. I hope you have an opportunity to really enjoy the holiday recognize it's going to be different than past uh, Thanksgiving holidays, no doubt about that. We really, you know, can't gather in large groups, but we can still enjoy time with immediate family or small groups of friends, uh, reflect on all those things that we really do have to be thankful for. It's so easy to get caught up in the negative, but, but to think about all the positives in, in each of our lives. So uh, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to each of you and your families. I uh, hope you get a chance, obviously, to rest and relax. Uh, take care and stay safe, stay healthy. Follow all the, the practices that we keep uh, uh, harping on uh, each and every week. But uh, I think by doing that, we'll keep our numbers low. We'll keep our family and friends safe as well. Uh, enjoy your time away. Uh, take a break. Uh, Quit doing email for a day or two at least, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you again uh, after the, the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you, Asa. Yes, as a reminder, we will be back on December 4th, so have a wonderful Thanksgiving all.